Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Anna. And today we're talking about Arc Troopers, Season 3, Episode 2. The babies, they're back. They're back. So the plan is that Grievous and Asajj are going to invade Kamino. And they've got a secret plan. However, that plan is intercepted by Kenobi and Anakin, who decide to intercept them. We are coming in hot off the heels of rookies when the Rishi Moon outpost was destroyed. Yeah, well, so this is, yeah, it's sort of a because that happened, this happened. Mm-hmm. Because Echo and Fives, who are the clones from the, that arc, are they've been in the 501st for a while and they've been working with Anakin for a while. So this is some months later. Mm-hmm. But it is definitely a part of Vol's arcs. And this one is basically part of the Clone Cadets and Rookies arc. It's just spread out chronologically a lot. So Rishi Moon is blown up. That's the one that protects Kamino. And Grievous and uh, Asajj are attacking. Asajj is underwater in a squid ship. So... Kenobi and Anakin fly to intercept. There's a extremely cool space battle that's very reminiscent of Return of the Jedi because Anakin's leading a wing of fighters as they fly super close to all the ships. And they're shooting Grievous's forces to pieces right over the planet. A whole bunch of them are landing and these big chunks are being secretly underwater assembled into an army by Asajj, which is real i mean that's a it's a pretty crazy gambit to pull off there it's pretty cool she has to send out aqua droids to turn all of the debris into the assault craft mm-hmm. and then like kenobi is like this is deeply suspicious so he uh decides to head down to the uh the city Topoka city tapioca city well Topoka city is where the clones are being put together right so, so underwater just underwater yeah so um Fives and Echo and Rex and Cody are all raring to defend their homeworld. So they're back there and Kenobi comes down. He calls Anakin down and Anakin's like, what are you talking about? The fight's up here. I'm whooping butt. And Kenobi's like, no, come on. So they all land and all of a sudden the droids start arriving and these squid ships show up and Things go real crazy. Well, I mean, it's more dramatic than that, right? Kenobi goes down underwater. and He goes down in a little pod, and then all of the aqua droids start shooting at him, and then they crack his windshield, and then he has to eject in a smaller escape pod. Even smaller. And then he is running out of air, and then he grabs hold of a literal flying dragon. Yes. I cannot believe you are. You're skipping all the good details. (laughs) Tighten up, Sam. All right. All right. So um, the squid ships leap out of the water. Yeah. They drop onto the outside of Topoka City and, and jam their in. tentacles in. It is. It is a really. Let's crazy have a little drama, scene. please. All right, all Can right. we have a little commotion for the excitement of this episode? <laughs> so some of the other things that are happening are the incubation tanks full of clone babies are just smashed to pieces. So. You know, this is the most infant deaths you'll see on screen in just about any. No. um, Also, the clone youth brigade is there. Yeah, several clone youth brigades are there. They're all running around. Our clone 99 is there. My baby. And he is handing out ammo and fresh guns and fresh grenades to everyone. Commander Colt is like, no, get out of here, 99. And then Commander Colt gets shot. So, or one of the commanders. Um, Kenobi says, this isn't enough droids to take over Topoka City. Go to the DNA chamber. And in fact, that's where Asajj is heading. So she is there and Grievous had told her to 
uh, not destroy the DNA chamber, but to capture some DNA from it. So she gets a mini keg full of DNA and is headed out when Anakin is there. And Anakin is in, I am missing this, the space battle. I am missing the clone battle. And so I'm just going to whoop your butt. Very uh, much taking out his frustration on Asajj. And it is a, there are some very cool fight scenes there. Meanwhile, Grievous is uh, stalking through Topoka City. And then Echo and Fives and 99 draw away all of his droids and Kenobi and Grievous are fighting. It is a three-part battle scene. It is very exciting. Two simultaneous boss battles and all of the clones and baby cadets are fighting off Grievous's forces. There's a very cool scene where the clones do a fighting retreat and then all the cadets pop out of their little sleep pods. Oh, it's so great. But as this is all occurring, Asajj is fought to the edge of the ship. Uh, Grievous is fought pretty thoroughly by Kenobi. He whoops his butt a little bit with his extra arms, but then skitters off. Yeah, the landing platform tilts, and then Mm -hmm. Kenobi goes, like, sailing down to the ocean. He does. Grievous escapes, and Kenobi Kenobi grabs hold of another dragon manta ray thing. Or maybe the same one. He's like, we have to stop meeting like this. Yes. And uh, so Grievous escapes into a little clone pod and flies off. Asajj is about to be... uh, She's forced to a standstill by Anakin and a whole bunch of clones. And Anakin, she's like, oh, are you going to ask me to surrender? And Anakin says, no, I'm just going to let the clones execute you mm. right here, which is dark. But the real meat and potatoes of the episode is with the clones. As we watch, as they run out of grenades, 99 runs to go get some more grenades and gets shot in the leg, gets back up, gets shot in the back a couple times and dies. Pretty sad. This is the most frowny faces that I've had in my notes since the Zillow Beast died. And that won an award for the largest number of frowny face in my notes. But um, Asajj has the midi keg full of DNA taken from her and she jumps into Grievous's micropod and they fly off and escape. And so other than a bunch of property damage and loss of life, the Separatist mission was a failure. And we end the episode on Cody and Rex saluting Echo and Fives. And promoting them to mm-hmm. ARC Troopers. In a beautiful call out to rookies, we have completed the circle. They were failing cadets, and now they got a promotion, and they're ARC Troopers. Yeah. So I pulled this one out of the um, the ARC because it was it takes place in between Season 3, Episode 7, and Season 3, Episode 4, which are the last two we covered. Because I figured that it deserves its own episode. Yeah. I mean, right from the beginning, we have some of my very favorite characters. We get mm-hmm. Shock T. Oh, who's a lot shorter than I thought. I think she maybe looks shorter because she's next to Lama Sue, who's like eight and a half feet tall. But she's also next to Anakin and Kenobi, and she's like short compared she to is kind of small every yeah. time i look at shakti i think about how this is what ahsoka will look like when she's older yeah and Ahsoka's pretty small and it turns out that i guess tagruda's grew up to be pretty small as well yeah or maybe just like they're two slight female ones but. yeah could be the clone youth brigade i freaked out but guess what there's no jacks we got almost the same youth brigade crew from death trap but there's yeah. no baby Boba Fett and there is no Jax. 
I'll bet it's because, you know, when you're a clone, when you're born a clone and, and you get to be five years old, they ask you what haircut you want. And that's the only decision you ever get to make as a clone. It decides, are you going to be a rocket trooper or a sniper trooper or whatever? And how you're going to finger paint your armor, basically. Yeah, yeah. And uh, maybe no one chose the, uh, I get to be a clone captain armor. Maybe not. Or helmet. The uh, the Elvis (laughs) 60s, you know, main character Pompadour (laughs) went out of fashion. (laughs) Or Jax was the only one with big D energy to carry Mm -hmm. it off. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Big cadet energy. And then, yeah, we get Clone 99. And Sam, I have this thing about favorite characters. Mm -hmm. When I have a favorite character, there's a there's a kernel in my heart that hopes that I will never see them again. That means that they don't die. Because it means that the writers never thought of any horrible things to do to them. And as soon as we opened up on Camino and Echo and Fives are strolling down the hallway Mm -hmm. and we see 99, I was like, oh, this will not end well. Yeah, I was chilling in the other room and I heard you as you were watching this episode. Just wailing. Oh no, this can't end well. Yeah, it's um it is the end of the full arc for 99 as well, because he plays this role of this wise character who doesn't get to live or die the mm. way he would have wanted to. And in fact, by dying in combat, even though he died fundamentally uselessly because the battle ended 10 seconds later. He died in combat, which is more than he could have hoped for his entire clone career. Yeah, let's talk about 99. Mm -hmm. Let's take a moment for 99. So we start the episode with Echo and Fives telling 99 that Heavy has died on the Rishi Moon outpost. Yeah, well, it's... They show up and they see 99 and 99 instantly recognizes them. Mm -hmm. And he says, I remember all my brothers. And I think that that's amazing because when we first met 99, how important it was that he was like had a wisdom about him. Yeah. So one thing that I noticed immediately was the numbers in rookies. I remember thinking, wow, we have 99 and then we have 55555, which Mm -hmm. is five's clone cadet number. Mm And I remember thinking, how many clones has 99 see die in the course of the war already? Yeah. So I looked it up. The estimates of the clones produced on Camino during the Clone Wars range from 700 million to 1 billion wow. and 700 million. So just think 99 was the 99th clone produced, probably. Well, so perhaps, or it's like all serial numbers in that like you have a a first set of serial numbers and then you like iterate through numbers and letters. It could be. But if that's true, then we never ever in the history of the internet have figured out 99's full number because yeah. he's known canonically just as two, di- two digits, nine, nine. Yeah. And it would make sense if he has, um, you know, if, he, if they're still working the kinks out that he has. A very, very low number. Yeah, it could be. And I just noticed that when Echo and Fives told 99 that Heavy had died, 99 like took it on the chin. He mm-hmm. did not seem that emotionally affected, even though he was carrying Heavy's medal in yeah. his pocket. Yeah. Like against his skin, basically. And think of all the things that 99 actually owns and the fact that he out of nowhere had that one on him because mm-hmm. he's just like a clone janitor. You know, yeah, he own, he's a maintenance clone. Yeah, he doesn't own or have anything. He just, just that. Yeah. So when Echo and Fives tell him that they think there's going to be an invasion on Topoka City, mm-hmm. 
he says, how can I help right away? Right, like right. he wants to do anything he can to contribute. And I think that's the arc that we see him following. Yeah. So he's the one providing grenades to all of the more able-bodied clones throughout the battle scene. Mm -hmm. He's the one who knows the shortcuts. He leads the clone cadets to safety. Mm -hmm. And then he gets so caught up in the heat of battle that he thinks that he can perform with the same physicality of any other clone trooper. Yeah. But you see he's dragging his leg behind him. And that's what he says. I'm a soldier just like you. There are so many, first of all, there's really strong dialogue in this whole episode. Yes. I read the transcript because it was that good. Wow. And the screenwriting is quite good. Yeah, the dialogue is good. The music is good. I really noticed the battles mm -hmm. because there's, there's three battles of note for me. One of them is right at the very beginning and then uh, in a space, and then both the lightsaber battles are fantastic. Yeah, I do want to talk about the battles, but right, the but, dialogue mm -hmm. is really interesting because there's so many moments when the clones are speaking in this episode that they reference blood, yeah. hearts, minds. Like there, there's like a genetic component to all of their dialogue. Mm -hmm. And when the camera pans over 99's dead body at the end of the episode – Someone says, we lost a true soldier. He really was one of us. Yeah. And there's another moment that I wrote down because this dialogue was so good. I think it's Echo or Fives, and they're trying to rally the cadets. And they say, look around. We're one and the same. Same heart, mm -hmm. same blood. And my blood's boiling for a fight. Mm -hmm. that, is, that is when they're... Because the cadets are like, but we're not fully trained. And they're like, whatever. Like we Your have training's to. in your blood. Exactly. Like we are one and the same and we are all capable of defending our home. And I think 99 got so caught up in that genetic truth. Mm -hmm. He says, this is what I was bred for. Yeah. Yeah. So he gets to fulfill his story of his life, which is to be a clone trooper. Yeah. I mean, he felt like an equal. Maybe he felt like he was finally able to achieve his destiny. Because what is the destiny of a clone other than to die valorously in the heat of battle? Yeah, and that's something we talked about in the deserter arc mm. as well. I think it's important because we're getting into a lot of clone-centric episodes now. And despite the fact that there's a bunch of cool other stuff going on with Anakin and Kenobi, this is the meat of the episode is mm -hmm. Echo 5s and 99 and seeing them, how they're different and how they're the same and, and what brought them up is, is really important. And their connection to 99, to Topoka city, to the growth that they've had as characters is pretty amazing to me. Mm, that's cool. I remember reading that this episode, Arc Troopers, was supposed to be a sequel to Rookies, mm -hmm. but the screenwriters thought that Echo and Fives needed more battle experience before their big promotion. Yeah. But it really feels like we are coming hot off the heels of, I think, one of the best episodes of season one. Yeah, yeah. They. It, it's, it's interesting. When we first watched those two episodes, it's Difficult to say, oh, this is important or that isn't. And when we first started this project, if you'll recall, we met a friend in Santa Fe who uh, was asking me questions that I don't think you knew the answer to or knew what we were talking about at the time. He was talking about how seeing these clones die or like 
because you see, if you watch them in syndication order, you see Echo and Fives first before you see rookies, before mm. you see their backstory mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how that didn't make sense to him. And so now watching them in the actual order with enough space to get to know Echo and Fives a little bit and to have 99 sit and mm. see how he is an important part of how Rex and Cody are clones as well. Because Rex and Cody also know 99. Interesting. So he's like the touchstone of all the clones. He is so pure. Like I just, Mm -hmm. as soon as I saw him again, I knew he was doomed because he's too good for this world. (laughs) But yeah, he was like this angel, like Mm -hmm. this battlefield angel looking over everybody. Yeah. Yeah. The the ammo bearer or the water carrier or the medic. Yes. The Florence Nightingale kind of, but like giving you your grenades to launch. Mm -hmm. Who dies in combat is such a tragic trope because Mm -hmm. that's how, you know, back when children were part of war during like the American Revolutionary War, the Civil War, and you had um, 16 year olds, 14, 12 year olds, you know, playing drums and stuff. But they would, but they would pick up a rifle. Or medieval standard bearers or or pages. pages. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, when you sit there and you imagine that, you know, you're just trying to trying to help. And that is how 99 would have been as well, because he didn't have any of the combat training or anything. I assume that once he was born, they're like, okay, well, we'll see if we can get him to hold. Yeah, I think someone even says specifically 99, you're not trained for this. You're not ready for this. Like, this is not the place for you. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I do wonder if this was probably the most fulfilling way for 99 to die. Absolutely. Yeah. Because there's no other way he could have died, right? That would have been that would have been all right for him. Yeah. I think if he had died peacefully years and years from this moment, I think he would have felt like he had squandered his potential. Yeah. This seems to be what he wanted. He wanted to be in battle. He wanted to be arm in arm with his brothers. Mm-hmm. And so in many ways, I think this is a tragedy mm-hmm. and I absolutely cried, but there is such a catharsis to it as well. I think you have to recognize that sometimes you just have to let characters get what they want. Yeah. This is what he wanted. It is. This uh, is not what I wanted, but this is what <laughs> 99 wanted. And who am I to be like 99? You got to live for me. some other really cool moments. In yeah, okay, let's talk about the battles. So the space battle is very cool. We see a few call-outs. One of them is Broadside mm-hmm. from the Clone Wars movie. Oh, yeah. It was one of the, either a Y-Wing or an ARC-170 pilot. And so there's this fantastic scene right at the beginning when Anakin takes his wing of, because he just, you know, they're like, oh, we're in a space battle. And Anakin's like, I'm just going to get my fighter. I'd prefer to be here rather than around a conference mm-hmm. table. I'd rather be up here than down in the command center is what yeah. he says. So he is flying along and he's got this tight 
formation of fighters and bombers right behind him. Very and they, nimble. And they zoom right past a cruiser and it looks just like some of the scenes in Return of the Jedi. Ooh. Where the rebels are flying super close to their own ships and to the Imperial ships. And it is a really cool shout out because the framing of the shot is the same. The capital ship is in the upper right and then the ships curve along underneath it and then pull up, which is it's something that like only happens in space, right? Because in any aerial combat, there's hopefully not something enormous above you. Yeah. <laughs> what I noticed was that the cruisers move so slowly in the mm -hmm. space battle. And it was actually the very first time in Star Wars space battles that I have really understood, like on a physical level, why it is so important to have people like Anakin zipping around in mm -hmm. very nimble little fighters, the cruisers hardly look like they're moving, mm -hmm. right? They're in a straight line. They're very static and they're shooting straight at each other. But you have the nimble pilots who are zooming in and out and able to get different angles and, and just be so much more effective mm -hmm. because they're small and fast. Yeah. Yeah. And, there's, there's a lot of elements to that. One of them is like you need to carry the bombers so they can bring their anti-capital ship weapons to bear. But that's really the way that it works. And so what's interesting in the history of like naval warfare, which this is obviously based off of, is that that is how things were really from about <sighs> beginning of World War II or really the late 1920s, early 1930s until – very well guided anti ballistic missile anti ship ballistic missiles which is the 2000s it was the uh the era of the the aircraft carrier because an aircraft carrier brings airplanes and airplanes can fly 600 miles and drop bombs on you and then you're toast mm -hmm. so and that is what star wars starships do they get close enough that they aren't really you know they they're shooting each other up but they're not doing terribly much the the real payload they bring to bear is their fighters and bombers mm -hmm. Which is much cooler, obviously. It is so much cooler, but also it's so dangerous. Oh, yeah. That moment when Anakin is like, yeah, broadside, I'd rather be up here than down there with Obi-Wan and Shakti. Ships are getting blown up in front of him and behind him. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, Anakin, you are just such a battle bro. He really is. So then moving forward to his fight with Asajj. So first mm. of all, there's an extremely crazy scene when Asajj first shows up because, you know, we're watching Grievous like charge through with his aqua droids. Uh -huh, He's having tons uh -huh. of fun. And then we cut to a scene and a bunch of uh, clones die. And then one of them, there's the characteristic force choke sound. Okay, let's set the stage. This is the first time that General Grievous and Asajj Ventress are meeting each other. As far as we know, yeah. As far as we know. So Asajj is like, okay, I got to make the villain entrance. Like, I got to assert my villain dominance over this other villain. And so we aren't sure who's doing the killing, but we hear someone get force lifted up. The background noise goes dark. Shunked against the wall. And then he's slowly impaled on a lightsaber and brought in for a kiss oh. by Asajj Ventress. And then around the corner, Grievous is like, ah, the assassin. Grievous is like, that was a very stylish entrance, my dude. Yeah. And he, they're both asserting like who's in charge here. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
Grievous is like, do you want some droids to go with you? And she's like, there's nothing you have that I could want. In like a very saucy way. Yeah. Okay. That's why I wrote originally that the dialogue is on point because Mm -hmm. Asajj has this physicality and this tone of voice and this like way of being and this incredible dialogue. She's just oozing this like creepy, sadistic female power. Yeah. And so... I think, I mean, that's definitely calculated. Mm -hmm. And the way, the reason it's so over the top, I believe, is because she's going after whatever is left, not removed from Grievous's libido. Because he's still a creature down there. He's still a male creature somewhere in there. And so by being feminine, she's putting him off balance. Oh, interesting. Because everyone else kind of treats him as a droid. Yeah, totally. She treats him as a male. Oh, that is fascinating. I really thought she was just trying to assert her big dick energy (laughs) and like win the measuring contest. But that's interesting because it does seem like the Sith are taught to lean into their strengths. Yes. Right? And I think Asajj with her backless costume and the boob window that Mm -hmm. we talked about at length in the Clone Wars movie, she is very much leaning into a seductive, dangerous side. Yeah, this is the first time we've seen her in a while. Yeah, it really is. When was the last time we saw her? Mm. I don't even remember. Yeah, it's been, been a, a minute. It's been a, quite a while. So it's it's cool to see her again. But the next thing we see her do is a intense, tight hallway fight with Anakin. Ooh. And it's in these, you know, Topoka City hallways, except that they're red lit with alarms. Mm-hmm. You know what the color palette of this episode reminded me of was another big Asajj episode, which was uh, Cloak of Darkness in the Malevolence arc. No, yeah. the new Gunray arc. Yes, 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 yes. That's, that is what it is. The the emergency lights. And I feel like that's where she likes to be is running around causing havoc. Mm-hmm. And that is the plan here. So she showed up and this fight between her and Anakin, very physical, very crazy back and forth because, you know, Anakin is like, wow, so I've killed like, you know, 47,000 droids over the last two months. And I it's been a while since I faced off against someone with a lightsaber. Ooh, a while, a while. Good point. Ahsoka has been doing a lot more of the one-on-one lightsaber battles lately. You know, that's true. That's true. Because she I, she might be the last person to fight Asajj. I so, think so. Yeah. Something that I noticed that I loved about the Asajj-Anakin fight is that at the very end, Anakin force grabs the canister of DNA. Mm -hmm. Asajj is like reaching out to grab it and one of the clones just snatches it out of the air. The camera pans back and you see like an entire troop of clones grim and silent and on one knee and just pointing blasters straight at her. And Anakin says his line, he's just going to let the clones execute her, which is real dark. It is super dark. But it is also Anakin saying, like, you aren't really worth my time anymore. You're just a troublemaker. Like, Or you- like you've done enough harm to these clones that they deserve vengeance for what you've <sighs> done to them in their home. Yeah, that's definitely the dark side, though. Deserving vengeance as opposed mm. to being in the state of forgiveness, mm. which is especially interesting in light of the young Boba episode, right? Because Mace, as the avatar of equanimity within the Jedi Order, says, well, you're going to have to forgive me for you know, killing your family. But meanwhile, these clones are with difficulty defending their home and they're watching their family die. 
And Anakin says, yeah, I'm just going to let him kill you. Anakin continues to be a great foil for Mace Windu, even when Mace isn't on screen. Yeah. And then there's the fight between Obi-Wan and Grievous. Okay, yeah. Well, I want to talk about Obi-Wan really quickly mm-hmm. because it's very evident during the battle scenes of this episode that Obi-Wan gets it and Anakin doesn't get it. For, like, that there's a secret plan going on, yeah. Yes. So every time Obi-Wan is like, something about this is too easy, something Mm -hmm. is very suspicious, Anakin has object impermanence. Mm -hmm. Every time he shoots a ship down, he's like, okay, got another ship. And Obi-Wan is like, there's something not right about these ships. And Anakin says... Only you could be concerned about ships that I already shot down. Yes. Yeah. Obi-Wan gets it. And Anakin is like, whatever. Like, I get to shoot things and then I do it successfully. And then Mm -hmm. it's done, right? It's so straightforward for him. Whereas Obi-Wan has this nuance and sophistication and canniness, like wariness. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, is his character. That's how he rolls. Also, when he goes underwater and he sees the very first tentacle assault craft, Uh it reminded me so much of the Phantom Menace when Qui-Gon and Padawan Obi-Wan are going underwater to Gungan City. And there's always a bigger fish. And there's always a bigger bigger fish. fish. And Obi-Wan is the one piloting the little underwater craft. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, Padawan, Padawan Obi. I did enjoy that he's in like a pretty small ship. Tiny. And then the aqua is like, stop right there. He's like, nope, I'm I'm peacing out. They shoot it. And he escapes in a... Even, Even tinier, tinier pod. And then he has to swim like a hundred feet. Which he is grabs his throat. He's like, oh shiz. <laughs> Where's my cool underwater breather from the Phantom Menace he, now? He left it 16 robes ago. <laughs> <laughs> and I just love when he grabs hold of the, they're actually called air whales. Mm-hmm. Awa. Oh, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I saw the name and I didn't want to try to pronounce they it. They were but. very, very, very briefly. They had a teeny tiny cameo in Attack of the Clones. Yeah, I remember seeing mm-hmm. like flying creatures there. They're so. so great. I love them so much. <laughs> anyway, that's what I noticed about Obi-Wan during the battle scenes. And then his fight with Grievous is very cool. Classic Grievous-Kenobi fight. Well, so Grievous busts out his extra arms, but Grievous isn't wearing a cloak because... Uh, water, I guess. Did you think that Grievous's character design had gotten a little upgrade since the last time we saw him? Yeah. And I was thinking the same thing about Asajj because this is definitely the first time we've seen either of them in season three. So Yeah. Grievous's mm-hmm. armor looked denser and heavier and it had this really nice sheen to it. Mm-hmm. And also his movement was a little different. He kept doing like on top of his gross spider scuttling that we all know I hate. He <laughs> would do this like slinky backward vaulty thing yes he was flipping backwards a lot in this episode yeah the thing that struck out to me was when he in revenge of the sith pulls out his extra arms and pulls out all four of his lightsabers you're like whoa that's crazy and we've seen this a few times uh, like when he killed nadar and kit fisto oh yeah but uh in this case he only has two lightsabers so he pulls out his extra arms and he just chokes out and like slams kenobi in the yeah. face and punches him and that is a very cool move. It is. And it's a very dramatic scene when the landing mm-hmm. platform tilts and Kenobi just goes like shooting down to the water. Which is also Attack of the Clones. Uh-huh. He's like, I'm falling into this damn ocean again. <laughs> Even the opening scene when we see Kamino for the first time in this mm-hmm. episode is a 
perfect replica of the scene in Attack of the Clones when we see like the walls mm-hmm. being battered by the sideways rain. I yeah. guess it's not ever not raining on Camino. Yeah, I mean, it's a water planet. Apparently, I'm not sure if this is canon or non-canon, but it used to not be a water planet. Really? Yeah, and the Kaminoans, um, you know, through climate change and through, like, extremely harsh, selective self-cloning of their species, uh, flooded their world and now live in cities that are, like, ruthlessly uh, genetically purified. Oh, bizarre. It's kind of dark, but... I guess I never thought about the Kaminoans genetically engineering themselves. But yeah, everything must be intentional about their whole stretchy, you know, gumbo thing. Gumby. (laughs) Gumbo works too. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's probably what they eat. But, you know, it doesn't make sense for a, like, legged creature to live on a water world. Because we Mm. see water, other water creatures like Moncalas or Calamari and um, Quarrens and shark people. We see lots of other... um, yeah, but I did notice, I think this was the first underwater scene since season one yeah. with uh, Bombat Jedi. Yeah. We have not gotten a ton of underwater scenes in the Clone Wars. I hear they're very hard to animate, but that might not be true anymore. Yeah, it's definitely noticeable. I've, I've seen some like more recent animated works that have come out really recently, including The Bad Batch. But, mm. um, the show Arcane came out on Netflix like a few weeks ago, and I watched that. And I'm like, wow, yeah, animation's come a long way in like yeah. 10 years. Because when the Clone Wars came out in, you know, late 20 or late oddies, early. Yeah, 2008. Yeah, it was pretty darn good at the time. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of really cool stuff that people were like, wow, this is really I hear people complain about the earlier seasons of the Clone Wars animation, and I've never noticed that. I always thought that it was painterly Mm -hmm. and beautiful and, like, colorful, and I've just never gotten that criticism. It. You might notice it more because it's an evolutionary change. Mm. If you like watch season seven or Bad Batch and then go back, it's yeah, like, fair. oh, wow. So this is, it's simplistic compared to later stuff. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't mean that it's worse, just that it's simpler. Yeah. yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of really cool stuff. I, I can't figure out if Grievous, so when Grievous and Asajj meet, Grievous like, exposits the plan he's like remember you're capturing the dna not destroying it and asajj seems confused on that matter she's like okay whatever but i feel like she might have been given different orders and grievous might have been going off orders Mm, here's what i thought Mm -hmm. the entire plan is dumb yes the entire plan doesn't make sense it seems almost like a sham because if you needed clone dna why don't you just take a clone as a prisoner of war and take a swab from inside of their cheek, and then boom, you have clone DNA. It's copyright protected. Uh huh. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> they have, they have, they have uh, malware. They have DRM, DNA <laughs> rights management. It's just it's interesting because as the fight went on mm-hmm. in the very beginning, Obi Wan said, "This is extremely risky for Grievous. Like even he's not this reckless." And by the time you see the end of the battle scene, Grievous and Asajj are fleeing. There's an entire battalion of clones thirsty for vengeance. Mm -hmm. And it seems like a very ill-considered plan, considering that if you just need DNA, grab one of the clones by the bicep and haul them into your skate pod, and then boom, you're done. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Well, it's it's Star Wars science, because like similar to how in clone cadets, 
they're saying, oh, well, we're stretching Django's DNA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Like, you realize you can just straight up like copy DNA, DNA forever. Yeah. But the point is, I think that it's like a finite resource. But I, I feel like if Asajj had been given different instructions and Grievous gave her conflicting instructions and she went with Grievous's instructions, because they didn't even have an escape plan to like get out of there with captured DNA. It was practically a suicide mission. And if Asajj had just gone in and blown up all the DNA, it would have really put a dent on the war mm-hmm. effort. That being said, can you not just take more DNA from the clones? Like it, it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's gotta be a finite resource because you have to have some finite resources. Um, so there's a series of books by E&M Banks called the Culture Novels, and they're really, really good. They're, uh, if you take sort of a Star Trek universe and extend it like 10,000 years into the future, what kind of technology they'd have and hmm. stuff. And he's talked at length about how in a post-scarcity economy, you have to like find really interesting places for conflict because in order to have any literary worth, there has to be some sort of conflict. Oh yeah. I think that's really evident in the way that people create magic systems yes. in, you know, literature and in film. Even the force has a cost. It tires you out to use the force. Mm-hmm. And I think things are very much less interesting if you are a quote unquote magic user, force user mm-hmm. in the Star Wars universe. And there's no cost. Yes. Yeah. And same thing with clones. You know, like, why can we clone? Like, why can't we selectively breed clones to have even better traits now? it's Yeah. I mean, if yeah. you had a perfect DNA cloning system, you wouldn't get a 99. You would never have a quote unquote defective clone. Yeah. Which is what 99 is called in rookies. Yeah. Now that said, in the Star Wars universe, cloning is a interesting thing. It's it's not common, right? And like doing it right with a sentient creature and perhaps the cloning of uh, incorporating in something mental and mm. mental conditioning into it is actually the important part. Yeah, it is also a rather slow process. I think yeah. in the Star Wars universe, we get used to things being fast because we have hyperspeed, like hyperspace travel yeah. and Everything moves at the speed of plot. Yeah, totally, totally. And you can make food reconstitute out of nothing, just add water, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you hear an attack of the clones that Jedi Master Sifo-Dyas, Sifo-Dyas, has spent the last 10 years having the Kaminoans build a clone army, 10 years is a long time. Yeah, yeah, because the... The Star Wars story is told across multiple generations, mm-hmm. right? It's like three generations for the movies, which mm-hmm. is pretty crazy. I mean, that's like how long it took to tell, this, tell the story in real life too, which is kind of <laughs> cool. That is cool. Yeah. What else do you want to talk about? I want to talk about the archetype of 99 just a little bit more. Ooh, okay. you know me. I always want to talk about 99. <laughs> just the that sacrifice is like simultaneously so meaningful and so unmeaningful. Mm. And so we recently saw Senator Chuchi again, Mm -hmm. and I'm reminded of when we saw Chairman Cho in Trespass and how he died doing what he wanted to try attempting to enact his will. And 99 died attempting to live true Hmm. and how much more meaningful that is as a death because they both achieved Nothing. Pretty much. Pretty much nothing. nothing. And it's a it's a sad way to die. Chairman Cho died trying to 
persecute a war that wasn't supported by his planet or by the people around him. It was purely his ego. It was purely ego, and it was purely his manifest destiny claims Mm -hmm. on Ordo Ordo Plutonia. Yeah. And then 99, I see how it is both meaningful and completely meaningless because the battle was almost over and he wasn't needed. But I don't think he could let himself not be needed in this moment when his home was threatened. Yeah. So then there's another moment thinking of Ayla Sakura when she's talking about really don't throw your life away on this. Like there's a there's a calculus of when to spend lives. Mm. And that's a lesson that 99 would have never learned. And there's a, a symbiotic relationship there between the clones and the Jedi they work with because 99 did not serve with Jedi in combat. And so he would not have had that sense of when it is time to be spent and when it is time to husband your resources. Mm, Yeah. What I remember thinking watching this episode, when we recapped Rookies, it was a while ago, but my headcanon was that 99 was kind of watching the training of the clones Mm -hmm. kind of out of the corners of his eyes. Yeah. Maybe when he's cleaning up or when he's just walking through the hallways, he's seeing the clones become trained for battle and absorbing some of it through osmosis. But in the moment of crisis, in this episode, it's Echo and Fives who have the orders, who rally the cadets and all Mm -hmm. of the remaining troopers. 99 doesn't know what to do. Yeah. He doesn't have the battle sense that I thought he would have, which ends up being, I think, the tragedy of his death. He didn't have that sense. No, no. So it shows that he did have an amazing skill because he did bring a lot to that fight. He oh, was, yeah. He was their quartermaster. He knew where the armory was. He knew all the shortcuts. He mm-hmm. knew the places to lay traps. But he didn't have – he wasn't the martial leader He wasn't the general. Yeah, which is okay because in the arc of Echo and Fives, which is extremely important, that shows how they grow because they need to have something to grow beyond and their life is marked by death. It is a clone's life is strictly in life and death. Every Mm -hmm. single part of it is Mm -hmm. life and death. And so watching someone who they deeply care about die in that context is simultaneously something that they're used to as well as something really meaningful for their growth as characters. Mm -hmm. I also think it shows the importance of lived experience as Mm -hmm. a soldier. My headcanon in Rookies was that 99 would make a phenomenal general Mm -hmm. because he knows the strengths of individual clones and he can really put them where they need to be because he sees them as individuals. But I think The difference between Kenobi being a general and someone like 99 being a general is that Kenobi has seen battle Mm -hmm. and 99 has never been in a position where he's been able to do that. Yeah. And that is really heartbreaking for me to kind of see the limitations of this character that I love. Mm -hmm. And it turns out being at the head of the front, being at the front of the battle wasn't where he needed to be. It was doing as you said, the quartermaster work, kind of more behind the scenes. And that's tough. I just, I had these big aspirations for 99 and I I didn't get to see them realized. Now, so something interesting about that is uh, an army marches on its stomach. And as Napoleon said, uh, you know, 
amateurs study tactics and uh, masters study logistics. Mm -hmm. So being a quartermaster, being that type, is the most important thing in a war. But the way the Clone Wars are persecuted, it's basically a guerrilla action time after mm -hmm. time. You have generals and captains and commanders leading from the front at the front in melee combat as opposed to sitting here moving around forces. Oh, yeah, it's scrappy. Mm -hmm. And so it shows that, like, you know, a lot of generals today, you know, very competent generals are, like, you know, in their 60s or 70s. Totally. You know? and, like, they don't they, need to be physically fit. And, yeah, and they, they are presumably excused from, you know, continued PT and combat training because, like, if it gets to the point where the general has to pick up a gun, the war is pretty much lost. Oh, yeah. It's their brains that are really important. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where I was coming from was this modern-day understanding of war that I have mm -hmm. in which 99 could have been phenomenal and not needed to be physically able Whereas the Star Wars universe is fundamentally much more one of feudal Japan or feudal mm, Europe, mm -hmm. medieval era, where a general is a general because they're the best with a sword. Yeah, and the king is the king because they led the troops to success, to victory. Mm -hmm. And all of the vagaries of funding and feeding the army are left for, you know, boring stories about math that's all about the glory of combat <laughs> yeah. and that is what the jedi do because we we talked about this in uh one of the more recent times we were in the jedi archives with jacosta new mm -hmm. and with uh sanube mm -hmm. because the things that they offer to the jedi order are definitely not in the field of combat but are still incredibly useful mm -hmm. so this episode in a way despite showcasing the death of a beloved character is uh glorifying physical combat. Which and I think is appropriate because we have talked about so many call-outs to classic Star Wars tropes and mm -hmm, scenes. Mm -hmm. And Star Wars came from Arthurian legend. We right. know George Lucas was deeply, deeply inspired by Westerns mm -hmm. and by Arthurian legend. And so, you know, I don't think that is necessarily my favorite depiction of combat is just the most physically fit or the most valuable. Mm -hmm. But I think it is really resonant with where Star Wars came from. And that's valuable for, sure. for me to understand. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's unfortunately reductive in my mind. But. It is reductive. What gives me some peace is that at the end of the episode, there is a clone cradling 99's dead body. Mm -hmm. And there is a moment of deep emotion from all of the clones there that witnessed his death and that are witnessing it now. And they say that was a true soldier and he was one of us and he was valuable to us and mm -hmm. he will be missed. Yeah. I think that brings me some closure. Yeah. Which is important in a story like this. And I think if you're a, a fan of star Wars, that it might be worthwhile after watching even through bad batch to Take a look at these three episodes, Clone Cadets, Rookies, and Arc Troopers, mm. as one arc. Mm -hmm. I think that look, looking at them in that aspect would be really interesting. Because I've always, basically before this project, watched them in uh, syndication order. 
and it's less impactful. But taking a long, deep dive into these characters is really important, especially, I think, after watching Bad Batch. I credit Clone Cadets rookies and now ARC Troopers with putting me firmly on the stance that clone-centric episodes are interesting and worthwhile. And if you'd asked me that six months ago... I would have had a very different answer. In fact, we have your uh, notes. On Sam will literally drive. never let me forget that time that I wrote that clone-centric episodes were boring and I will die on this hill. She said that. I did. And I wrote it down. Yeah. And now we'll never forget. No. No. Just like we'll never forget 99. <laughs> ah. uh, miss him already. Me too. Is it that time? Yeah, I think it is. Let's play some taps on this one instead of the regular song. Oh. Now nah, let's sing it. It's time for Baywatch. It's time, it's time for, for Baywatch. 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 <laughs> Who's your base, Sam? Oh, boy. All right, so... I- I had to look at the clones to determine which one was which. Mm -hmm. And for me, uh, it is a first appearance on the Baywatch list, I believe. It is Echo. Echo! He is the one who gives that speech Uh about my blood is boiling for a fight. Perhaps I'm future casting a little bit because Echo is extremely important in the rest of the Clone Wars. Coming to Kamino, being one of the two clone brothers, Fives and Echo, who haven't really differentiated themselves yet, and taking on this leadership role, being humble, being gracious, setting up this cool combat. And then he's also the one who's cradling 99 at the end. He is coming into his own as a character. And I think that that is very, very cool. So remind me. Is Echo or Fives the one with the bloody handprint on his armor? That is Fives. Okay, so Echo is the other one. Yeah, yeah, and he's uh, although Echo has uh, Echo has a forehead tattoo, which is oh okay, that's cool. But yeah, it's hard to tell them apart sometimes. But he has got really cool, just uh, just the ability to rise to the occasion. I think he has that special sauce that we've talked about. Mm -hmm. When I went back and rewatched the scene when all of the cadet babies and I think Cody and Rex and Echo and Fives are all in the barracks together, I was astonished that it was one of the regular clones, and now I know it was Echo, Mm -hmm. that rallied everyone to the charge. I mean, that should have been Cody's job, and failing that, it should have been Rex's job because they're a commander and a captain, respectively. And for it to be Echo was incredible to watch. Yeah. Like it was one of those moments where you think that they could have gotten a battlefield promotion mm-hmm. and they would have totally deserved it. Yeah. And that becoming an ARC trooper is basically that because that is assault recon commando. And that's what they were dreaming of in yeah. Clone Cadets. That's what they wanted. They wanted to go be with Bravo Squad, mm-hmm. who they knew were on track to be ARC troopers quickly because they were so good. But, you know, for all we know, Bravo Squad got blown up in a ship some point. Yeah, totally. All that's left are these two of the original five of Domino Squad. You don't have to remind me that. My babies. But the way that they both, Fives and Echo, accepted their promotions really rose to the occasion. I'm I'm with Cody and Rex being like these guys are these guys are great and out of the two, Echo's Echo's the one who deserves the shout out today. Aw. That's very cool. Mm -hmm. Go Echo. Mm -hmm. 
Who's yours? My base, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Really? It I is. I thought 99 was going to get the nod. No, I have a really hard time putting people on Baywatch when they die nobly for no reason. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm discovering this about myself. I love 99, and mm-hmm. I will always credit him as the reason that I came to love the clones. Yeah. It was 99 who did that for me. It wasn't Rex. It wasn't Cody. It wasn't anybody in Domino Squad. Mm-hmm. It was 99, the maintenance, maintenance clone. Yeah. But Obi-Wan sees through Grievous's deception every time in yeah. this episode. He sees the debris falling off of Grievous's cruiser, and he says, that's really weird, and I'm going to go for a swim and investigate. Mm-hmm. And then in the heat of battle, he and Anakin are in the hallway fighting off a onslaught of mm-hmm. Grievous's forces, and he's like, this is too easy. Like, mm-hmm. there's something else going on. And Anakin's like, yeah, I, I hear you. <laughs> And he knows immediately it must be the DNA chamber. That must be where they're going. Mm, yeah. So, bam, he sends Anakin off where Anakin can be the most useful. Although that's also important because no matter how many times they fight Grievous in the Clone Wars, they have to keep Anakin and Grievous separate. I until know. I know. Three. It was beautiful. <laughs> it's like, okay, Anakin, you can't meet Grievous for another like three years. So go to the DNA chamber, yeah. go hang out with Asajj. Yeah. It would be really funny if, you know, the first time that if Anakin and Grievous meet, Grievous dies. But alas. Alas. Happened. Alas. Yeah, Obi-Wan just was something else this episode. Mm -hmm. And also seeing him piloting the underwater pod was really fun because Obi-Wan did a lot of piloting as a Padawan and then we don't see it all that often in the movies or the the Clone Wars. No, even in uh, episode three, he's flying around and he's like, nothing too fancy. I know, know? he lets Anakin do it. So it's really fun to see him at the helm to see him improvising beautifully by using the living force, kind of like calling the air whale to him. And yeah, twice. Twice. And just having the suavity to be like, we have to stop meeting like this in midwater or midair. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> Incredible. I love Obi-Wan so much. Another nod for Obi-Wan. Another nod for Obi-Wan. He is now tied for first place with Ahsoka. All right. And I think that sounds about right. Anakin and Padme are also tied for second. So that seems about right as well. Yeah. Yeah, this is a good one, but it does leave me a little sad, um, as I'm sure is the point. But out of a lot of war movies, or even uh, fast forward a bit to like Rogue One, there is a moment of like sacrifice Mm -hmm. by the characters. And it's unfortunate to see 99 die for no reason. So I think the hope of war movies is that that moment of tragedy becomes a catalyst Mm. for you to think more deeply about how to live nobly in your life. So if I take, yeah, some war movies. Some of them just want you to sign up for the army. I mean, that's probably true as well. If that's how you make meaning out of your life, then Yeah. yeah, go for it. But hopefully it inspires you to Take a good hard look at your life and ask yourself, am I rising to the occasion? Like, would I be proud of myself if I looked back on this battle, whatever your battle is, and and see how you're doing? So, are you being Echo or are you, you know? 
I am reminded at the end here of um, a famous American war hero named Audie Murphy, who was also a very famous actor, although uh, as an actor shortly after World War II, they were going, they made a movie of when he got his Congressional Medal of Honor and they had to tone it down because what happened in real life was too crazy and no one would believe Whoa. it. But what they really wouldn't believe was that this like skinny five foot seven kind of, you know, more, uh, not, not, uh, aggressively masculine, but you know, just a slight dude would have done the crazy things he did, which Mm. is hold off, you know, single-handedly capture a bunch of Germans and hold them off with a machine gun, like after his tank had been blown up and be on fire all this time. And, and he just did it. And it's kind of frustrating to me thinking of that as you say, that's the point of war movies is also that war movies are that to enforce traditional masculine roles. And that 99 is, despite being at a DNA level, quite similar to the rest of the mm-hmm. clones, if not identical, is not the traditionally masculine role. Mm-mm. He was Florence Nightingale, yeah. a traditionally feminine role. And so, of course, he had to die because in the Star Wars universe, before Clone Wars, you know, in the entire prequel series, all the female Jedi you see die screaming mm-hmm. without ever having a line. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talk about this on Spice Run. The closest yeah. a female Jedi comes to a speaking line in the prequels is to scream as she is murdered. Yeah. So there's um, seeing that in 99 as well is, I don't know, it, I, I'm left with a sense of uneasiness about this, I think, due to the way 99 died. Yeah, I agree. I looked at the IMDb, IMDb reviews of this episode mm-hmm. and Everyone loved it. It is an extremely popular episode. Mm-hmm. And I think it is, as you said, reductive. Yeah, yeah. Because because it paints a picture which life is so much more complicated and so much more heroic when you remove the faces of heroism and replace them with the actions of heroism. Hmm. Interesting. Anyway... Wow. What's up next? What a note to end on. (laughs) Well, up next, we have something maybe a little bit more lighthearted, maybe a little bit heistier. Mm -hmm. We have the Zero the Hut arc, Mm -hmm. which bear with us. It's season three, episode eight and nine, and also the finale of season one, episode 21. We're finally finishing season one. We're finally freaking (laughs) finishing season one. Thank God. But I'm really excited to see Zero the Hut again because of that accent and that cool eye tattoo. That accent. Mm -hmm. Wow. And we get more Cad Bane and yeah. Cool. I'm excited. I've never seen most of this, so this will be very fresh for me. It's going to be fun. It's going to be real fun. I think we make Quinlan Voss. Exciting. Da-da-da! Yeah, yeah, yeah. As always, if you want more Skywalker, feel free to follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you want bonus content, become one of our patrons. All you have to do is look up Growing Up Skywalker on Patreon.com. For our Spice Run content. And send this episode to the hero in your life. Send it to the hero who doesn't look like a hero. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.